and welcome to another episode of In Media's Mess, where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. I'm Alanis. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. Welcome everyone to our very first episode of 2021. Yay! Thank God. Oh my gosh, it felt like forever. I did not think we would get here. It really did feel like forever. But we are here now. And while New Year's are usually associated with new beginnings, in reality, it's more like another milestone in the work progress that is our lives. So I guess to keep in theme, we thought we'd kick things off with some character development when it comes to how we interact with media. Here at In Media's Mess, we talk a lot about how important it is to be better media consumers, mostly because it's something that we care about, but it doesn't ever come from a place of us feeling like we're the best media consumers out there. We're clearly not. Absolutely. I feel like when it comes to like talking about how people consume media, it's like a continuous learning curve. Yeah, for sure. I don't really know how to de- describe it properly, but it's basically just like if you think that you're at the pinnacle of media consumerism, it's really, really, you're very far off. Yeah, especially because media changes so much in such a fast pace. There's always something to learn and unlearn in the ways that we interact with it. And I feel like the thing to keep in mind, like whenever we plan out and like record these episodes and like for anyone listening, we're not, you know, we don't want to seem prescriptive because we're nowhere near a place where we can be. Right. A lot of what we talk about is very much also a reminder to ourselves. Right. I mean, we're human. And while we do care a lot about media literacy, we are also very much aware that we fall into the same traps. And that's why in this episode, we want to share with you some of the things that we've had to outgrow through the years. Or at the very least, feel like we've outgrown and try to keep up. Yeah, try to keep learning. (laughs) Life is a process. Like everything is a work in progress, you guys. We are never, you know, we're never at the point where we feel like we can stop growing. So really, this episode is more to talk about the things that we've learned to do and not do, and also the things that we are continuously trying to unlearn. Yes, exactly. And I think the first thing that I really had to um, work on was the kind of built-in loyalty to a Mm. TV network. It's okay, Alanis, you can say it. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I mean, it really is. It's just network loyalties. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course, that's a product of the oligarchy in local media. We only really have a handful of big players. Not going to get into the politics of that, but that is generally the reality. And network loyalty is something that's cultivated because of the perpetual rivalries between those big players. And there is no network rivalry in the country that's as big as ABS versus GME. And we're interestingly on opposing sides of this. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of the few differing starting points that we have, I guess. Pretty much, yeah. So, Clea, you're more ABS and I am more GME. 
Yeah. And listen, I'm not gonna say that GMA is great. I'm also not going to say that ABS is amazing. But yeah, it, it's just, it's actually really funny that like I've been team ABS and Alanis has been team GMA since when we met, honestly, which is yeah. in grade school. So No, but then that's also the reason why I was more GMA in the first place. It's because I grew up watching their Fantaseria golden years. So that was like Encantadia. Micah, Super Twins, Darna, like Angel Oxines, Darna in particular, like all of that. And as a kid, I would have fought anyone who tried to tell me that the counterpart show from ABS was better than these shows that I watched. So that was the reason why I would consider myself more GMA, at least telenovela-wise, because I was more invested in those more than any other show from ABS. What about you, Cleo? What did you watch from ABS? The thing is, my loyalty to ABS-CBN was not born out of a piece of media that I loved. It was really more that I literally just was not able to watch anything else as a kid. Um, My grandma was like a major, like, it was ABS or nothing, essentially, when I was at her house. So that was kind of it. Like, we used to live in a complex where, like, my grandma was essentially my neighbor. So what would happen is, like, after dinner and everything, us kids would just go to her house and then, like, we just watch all of the teleseries. I have very vivid memories of watching May Bukas Pa <laughs> with my Lola. As in, like, they are ridiculously vivid. Who was in that? I can't remember. The kid, I forget this child's name. Sina Zaijian Haranilia. Ah, yeah. okay. <laughs> it's just like, what is the name? <laughs> Wait lang. But I think that's pretty common though. I mean, you essentially as a kid just watch whatever is being watched in your household. We've talked about this before, but the things you start watching are influenced by the people around you. Right, yeah. So that very much relates to network loyalty also. You go off of whatever network your household watches. Mm -hmm. And for me, actually, I think our household was very varied. Like we tend to watch specific shows from either one instead of sticking to one network. And considering I used to watch like the Bing Elog as a very, very young person, I had no business watching that, but I did. I also watched a lot of ABS and I watched BBB naman, like Star Circle Quest in tandem with Starstruck. It wasn't really until the Fantaseria stuff that I went like full GMA primetime, which is so interesting because I don't even remember how I stumbled upon Encantadia, which spurred this obsession. But the only constant thing I think is that our afternoon show has always been Eat Bulaga, like until now. Mm. I also went to a taping of Eat Bulaga for my birthday. Amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What was that, like a birthday gift? Yes, like a birthday party. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) So, yeah, again, network loyalties. The thing is that, like, my household was very ABS, so I really did, like, kind of grow up with that bias inherent. But I think, like, the time in my life where that was really heightened was actually in college, where I was working media for the UAAP. Mm -hmm. So I met up with and linked up with, like, a lot of people for maybe ABS Sports. Yeah, ABS Sports. Which mm-hmm. is great. That one, I'm like not afraid to say is amazing. Oh no, ABS CVN Sports is just like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it outright. The things that they've done for sports and sports development in the Philippines have bar none. They are absolutely one of like the best media outlets for sports coverage. Yeah. And, like it's very unfortunate that we don't have them right now. Unfortunate is an understatement. But in any case, 
Yes, there are a lot of layers and factors to our local media viewing for sure. But I would say that outgrowing the network loyalty mentality just kind of came with growing up too. Also the Western cultural dominance when you become a teenager. So generally, you watch other things. For me, when my favorite shows ended, I didn't really watch much primetime TV after that anymore. And admittedly and rather shamefully, I haven't really watched any local TV as much, especially when you compare it to when I was younger. Right. I actually feel like same. Right? Mm -hmm. I wish I could like say that I kept up with a lot of it. I mean, but I really didn't. But I mean, I watch Filipino films if that's any consolation. <laughs> but when it comes to TV, um, I don't really watch as much anymore. It might also just be because I've stopped watching TV in general, like cable. Yeah, that's true too. But see, the thing is, even though I'd like to think that I look at local media with neutrality or some semblance of objectivity, I do still sometimes get protective. Right. Like, irrationally over blanket statements. Like when someone says that GMA shows have always been walang kwenta. In my head, parang, hello, yung buong Encantadia universe po. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> May Amaya rin. Alam mo yun? Like mga ganong bagay. Yeah. Sobrang walang kwentang urge to defend. But I still like have to fight that. Na parang, okay, it's fine. People didn't grow up with that. It's chill. Stop it. Yeah. For me, the whole ABS-CBN thing, um, I think over the last year, obviously, there have been a lot of, like, discussions about ABS-CBN because of, like, the network shutdown. Let's put it out there right now that neither of us were ever in favor of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember, like, having, like, a couple of, seeing a couple of discussions where people were raising, like, valid points. At, like, I really had to kind of, like, trample down on my initial response, which was very, like, coming from a place of, like, sincere just protectiveness, especially when it came to ABS Sports, Ooh, which, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not only, I didn't, like, work with them directly, but, like, I knew a lot of people in it. I sort of, like, hung out with them when I was working student media. And also, you know, I grew up watching the UAAP. Yeah. So there's a lot of inherent just, like, love for ABS I feel like it's, you know, as with anything, you're very protective of the things that you grew up with or the things that you love. And so when someone says anything bad about it, it's just the the very initial response is just to kind of be like, you know, hackles up and like, hoy, wait lang. So, I mean, when it came to the ABS-CBN shutdown, it was like, who cares about network rivalries, right? That shouldn't come to play anymore. It doesn't matter. And I hated that people tried to make it like that. But anyway, apart from the outgrowing of network loyalties like years back, you know, the weird urge to defend content or actors should not be a factor. The urge to defend press freedom has to come first. Just because I used to watch TV shows from GMA as a kid doesn't mean I don't care about injustice. So opposing the ABS-CBN shutdown is a no-brainer because it's much bigger than just content preferences. Yeah. But we can't ignore that pop culture is largely about those preferences. Also, you only have to see the like countless memes about currently airing shows. 
that genuinely makes me think na parang, my God, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a matter of understanding that there are different facets of these preferences. So there are different ways of looking at things too. Yeah. And I think the whole thing really is just a matter of like, know when you need to be objective. Because there is like, there's always going to be like a subjective part of you that thinks that whatever you like is like better than other things, which is fine. But you know, when you're getting into like a discussion with someone who's raising like very valid points about like, oh, but like, you know, this thing might objectively be better. It's just like, relax ka lang, dude. Like, you can have a conversation without like being mad. You can exchange opinions. Well, there are things that have clear moral lines. Defending press freedom should not be up for debate. But again, when it comes to preferences and subjective opinions about media, like what are better plot lines, which is more influential, who are the better actresses, the better eras. Even just as simple as, you know, programming, what works better or like what, who has the better news anchor or who was wearing the nicer thing, like stuff like that. There is no sense in like getting into fights over it. Yeah, like aggressive fights over the internet will not make someone's preferences change. There are better things to pour our energy into. Like defending press freedom and being mad about the ABS-CBN shutdown. You already know. But yeah, so it's good to remind yourself not to take people's opinions on content personally. Like an insult to your favorite is not an insult to you. Yeah, exactly. Or like, it's not even necessarily an insult. It's really just like someone's indifference towards something you like is not a personal attack. Right, right, right. That's, that's so true. Being invested is great, but a little distance between your personal life and your favorites really wouldn't hurt. And that's a great reminder for people, including us. For the both of us, because, you know, we have, aside from, like, networks, we also have groups and artists and books and, like, TV shows that we love that we also know that is objectively not the best. But (laughs) it's just one of those things where people are allowed to have opinions and there doesn't have to be a hierarchy of, like, what is objectively, or not even objectively, universally um, correct. And I love that you said that, like, we also know that there are some things that we know that are objectively just not the best. Absolutely. I watch a lot of trash. Like, I will put it out there. I watch a lot of trash TV shows. I listen to a lot of, like, objectively not great music. It's fine. It's just, but it makes me happy. And that's, like, that's something that, you know, other people don't need to get into. Yeah. I mean, all of these things are, I think, intrinsically subjective anyway. Mm -hmm. And are, again, preferences that are influenced by different factors. But because we don't live in a vacuum, society does kind of impose a hierarchy onto those preferences. So you can't take out class analysis in that way. Mm. So there's always that notion of like highbrow versus lowbrow and that mainstream or popular things are inherently terrible. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not exempt from this. I fell into this trap too when I was a young and impressionable teenager. Same. I think I fell into this like heavily sometime around like maybe grade five to like 
mid high school. Yeah, when you're trying to be cool or obscure, or maybe on some level, you know, trying to be better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Honestly, this was born. I think like I blame the early like 2010s Tumblr hipster archetype of like I liked it before it was cool or like oh I don't listen to that. Too many people know about it. It's like yeah. oh god. <laughs> I do blame Tumblr for that. Yeah. Um. I will say, though, that, like, the idea of trying to be non-mainstream, I feel like I actually approached it from, like, a different perspective. Anyone who knows me knows that, like, I love me a good underdog story. Same. You know, it's just, like, I root for, I root for the, you know, the lesser known things. Obviously, because I think that they deserve more support. And, like, a lot of lesser known things are very good. They just really don't have the same reach, you know? And so for a time in my life that I really, I was so, I'm so thankful I outgrew. For a time in my life, I was actively just kind of trying to only pay attention to things that weren't mainstream out of some weird sense of like, oh, I'm like, you know, supporting the underdog or like I'm supporting smaller productions. I was supporting like, you know, like the non- studio films and stuff like that, supporting indie. I mean, there's absolutely no shame in supporting indie and I still really, really love like finding those like hidden gems of like obscure like art and media. But it's also not a reason to completely give up like studio films and pop music. I'm so happy that I realized at one point that there was like, I could like both. And, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other, you know, yeah, it doesn't have to be one or the other because there's so much media to consume. And, you know, it's like supporting big budget studio productions does not mean that you can't support like smaller art house films and vice versa. Right. I'm like getting flashbacks to you, like watching um, the Marvel films (laughs) (laughs) repeatedly in the cinema and like, yep, Clea grew that. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I mean... Hey, repeatedly means twice. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's still a lot. Which I do for a lot of films, you know. It's okay, Cleo. We don't judge. That's not a bad thing, obviously, to want to support independent art and media. There's 100%, 200% a place for that in society. And we always need things that break and challenge norms. Again, always good to support that because that's necessary. And the entertainment industry, as with any industry in our society. It has a lot of problems, to put it gently, and it is true that independent artists and productions, etc., face a lot of challenges because of lack of resources, you know, among others, or because of the way that the industry gatekeeps. Mm -hmm. So supporting independent and highlighting independent and art house is a good thing. Yeah. And I feel like as, you know, people who studied mass communication, I think we also have like a lot more sympathy towards um, smaller productions because we know how hard the production process is. If you've ever tried to make a film on a student budget, it's not fun, you guys. There's so (laughs) many considerations and, you know, it's difficult. So yeah, it's just very, very difficult. So I think that, you know, the both of us having had that experience are sort of, you know, we're very partial to supporting like smaller productions that make good content because we know how difficult it is. But again, it's just not, it doesn't have to be like a a black and white thing. Right. I think a lot of it also comes from the desire to like 
stick it to the man, you know, like mm, stick yeah. it to the the faceless corporation. Right, yeah. And super valid. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think people should continue doing that. <laughs> but it's when you start to judge or put down other people for watching the mainstream stuff on the basis of because what you watch is considered highbrow, mm. that's when I get uncomfortable. Right. Because there's a level of assumption that they're not being smart about the things that they're seeing, which isn't true at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it kind of just boils down to two things. Um, one, that, you know, disliking things that many people like does not make you a cool person. Mm-hmm. It's not a personality trait. Yeah, it's really not, you guys. Death to the idea that, you know, hating mainstream things makes you cooler because it really doesn't. And second, that good content comes from a lot of places. A lot of people associate mainstream with like, I don't know, like sell the things, like with, with stuff that just isn't of substance. And I feel like that's also just like a really bad way to look at things because it's re- that's there's no real basis for that kind of call. And it's not actually critical. It's just pretentious. I mean, you know, things are caused by problems of the system at large. So taking away that perspective gives you a very limited view. And actually, for me, I feel like often people criticize things that they haven't even seen or listened to. And I'm not saying that you have to consume every single thing in the world. Who has the time for that? Or that you have to watch something that you know would be toxic and not good for you. Like, for example, like problematic ways that some shows portray sensitive issues like mental health. But I also think that if you're going to be vehemently and actively against something, I would expect that you at least know the full context of the thing, which doesn't necessarily entail immersion, but it helps. But again, circling back to it, when it comes to things that are surface level and are about what you subjectively like, it's the age-old saying of like, don't knock it if you haven't tried it. Yeah, it's when people don't give things a chance. That's when it becomes problematic. Because again, like you can have your preferences. If you really do prefer the indie art house stuff, go ahead. If you really do prefer like underground folk music, why not? But you can't say that something is objectively bad without having experienced the thing in the first place. And you can't say that you're better than someone just because they prefer different things from you. Right. A good reminder for all of us because we joke about it all the time. But there you go. But I guess you also can't blame people for wanting to go against the green and be different and to kind of like revel in that because aside from the fact that a lot of the time people shun things that are different, we do live in very echo chambery times. <laughs> oh, yeah. So our circles run very, very small. And chances are the people you know talk about the same things. Right, yeah. Like, I'm thinking about the people who made it a personality trait to not watch Game of Thrones. Ah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Because everyone would talk oh about my it gosh. on the timeline. See, here's the thing. I did not watch Game of Thrones. I watched, like, the first season and then, like, I just kind of gave up. But, like, I was frustrated when it was the last season. And then there were so many people on my timeline who were just, like, 
oh, I don't watch Game of Thrones and like, oh, Game of Thrones na naman or whatever. And I'm just like, as someone who doesn't watch Game of Thrones, please shut up about not watching Game of Thrones. Like, there's no point. Yeah. Like, we're still gonna watch it. You're still gonna see it on your timeline. Again, it's just really, let people enjoy things, you guys, genuinely. Um, but on the topic of echo chambers, I think it also kind of ties in with the idea of like the mainstream that maybe mainstream is not the word in this case, um, but there is like a status quo of media that you consume depending on your social circles, I think. Exactly. And so obviously the stuff we talk about on this podcast are within that status quo too. I mean, can't deny we are very much in the middle class. Yeah. We're like we're very solid middle class, you guys. A lot of our a lot of our media choices and a lot of our uh, references are very solidly from media that's marketed towards our like our social standing, our age range. So you know, there are a lot of factors in play. So that's the status quo of the media that we consume. Exactly. So we did watch Disney, we watch HBO, and whatever new thing drops on Netflix, ganyan. Yeah, and like, you know, throwing back to cable days. I mean, there was a lot of like, whatever was on ETC. Um, yeah. Oh my you God, know, ETC. I haven't ETC, heard that in a while. The CW shows that were syndicated on local media. All of that stuff. So everything that we've consumed, like all of the media that we've consumed from the time that we were children to now, is really, there is like a baseline status quo on like in terms of like the choices that we had. Right. And it's hard to kind of move out of that because that's what your friends are watching. That's mm-hmm. what your family is watching. That's what they'll be like, oh, you should look at this, go on. Right. And also... These are the things that are accessible, like to you specifically, because like, oh, let's say Game of Thrones. It's just like I started watching it because my sister wanted to watch it because she borrowed the book from another friend. So it's really, it's, it's an access thing as well. Exactly. And the things that are readily available to you and that you are exposed to often are the same things. When we were younger, like you said, a big factor in that was whether or not you had cable or which cable provider you had. And now it's whatever's on your feed or your timeline or dashboard or what have you. Our online social lives are echo chambers. That's really it. The way social media is structured is very much tailored to that. Right. You filter out all of the people that you don't want to see. You're not going to follow someone that you don't like their content or you'll mute them or you'll block them. And you can mute specific topics. The filtration of like what you actually get, like the information and the like discussions that you have are very much tailored towards the kind of conversations you want to be having anyway. Right. And there's plenty of ways to prove that academically or with whatever system or technology there is. But I don't think we even need to go that far because this is something that we already know. What I think we need to keep reflecting on is how to move away from those echo chambers. And that's for sure a work in progress because one, that means imagining structures that aren't necessarily there yet. And two, it requires a lot of effort to think about, which not a lot of us can afford. Trying to intentionally get out of our echo chambers really needs time and extra energy. This is a topic that I 
particularly, I admittedly like really need to work on because I remember sometime around, I believe it was June of 2020, um, at the height of like the global Black Lives Matter movement, there was a content creator that I followed who posted like a list of Black media uh, for people to check out, just kind of like books, movies, and all of that. And I remember going through that list and like having like a genuine, like really intense like moment of realization that I knew like maybe two things out of a list of 20. And that was really, I remember like really sitting down with myself that night and I was just like, Leia, this is something we need to work on. Right. Because we talk a lot about how diverse media consumption like leads to you know, more diverse worldviews and a better understanding of people. But like diverse, like the word diverse is very subjective and very relative. What a lot of people think is diverse is still very, very niche and still very contained to a certain social status, a certain like age, a certain thought process. And I kind of like took that experience and I did spend a lot of time last year kind of like looking into um, more films, more books. Um, the thing is, like, I, I follow a lot of, like, food media yeah. on my Instagram just because, like, I like to cook. And I found so many really interesting chefs and, like, food media personalities of color that I started following that I've learned so much from in the span of, like, what, three, four months? So it's just been, like, it's been really fun. And, like, I think that's just a good example of just, like, taking a few steps to sort of widen your media consumption really does have like a big impact, you know? 100%. And I agree, I had the same experience. I really did realize how um, homogenous kind of Mm. the stuff I was um, consuming was. And I mean, I'm someone who is trained to watch foreign films, like trained to watch local films. This was repeated and ingrained for years in university, but it's hard to unlearn the other years of your life or even the other aspects of your life outside academics when you're consuming homogenous stuff. So more than ever, I had to be more intentional about like, oh, okay, I haven't watched this kind of TV yet. I haven't read this kind of book yet. I haven't listened to this kind of music yet. And for me, music was the one that was very contentious. Mm. There are days that I'm kind of like, even before um, 2020, that I'm kind of like, okay, I've been listening to a lot of men today. I'm gonna <laughs> switch back <laughs> to the women. <laughs> and like, right, yeah. And um, I really had to change my listening patterns a bit. Mm-hmm. I realized like before college that I was listening to way too many white boys. I had the same realization. Right? Like sometime early, like I think it was like freshman year. I was just like, why am I, why are there so many sad boy songs on this playlist? No, for sure. Like when I first started like using Spotify, because I was a late um. I was late to the Spotify game. And when I first started using it and I was like following artists that I listened to from like my iTunes music library, I was like, oh my God, I'm dumbing white male bands. Why do they dominate my music so much? Sobrang tell them boy bye talaga because I needed to listen to more people. So yeah, definitely music was the one that was contentious for me. Mm-hmm. And again, like for both of us, that was something that we had to like sit down and be like, 
okay, who are we gonna listen to? Who, who's the new person that we're gonna discover today? The funny thing is that to a lot of people, I think it already seems like we consume some pretty diverse media. Like, from the outside, it looks like we've been very good at diversifying the kind of content that we interact with. But like we talked about earlier, media consumption is a continuous learning curve. And just when you think that you're done, you're really, really not. So, okay, Alanis listens to some Kazakh pop today, or like I watch some Scandinavian indie movie. But you know, it's just like, just because things are obscure doesn't necessarily mean that they're diverse. And I think that that's an important difference to note. That's true. And I said it earlier too, that All of this isn't to say that you have to consume every single type of media there is. Mm -hmm. We're not robots and we have lives outside of these things. And there's so much media in the world anyway. You don't need to listen to every country's type of music. You don't need to watch every single kind of cinema. If you have a preference in media, in like media formats, like if you like music more or films, etc. There's a lot of room to expand within your interests. Again, it just goes back to preference, I think. And you're not required to like everything. It's not a moral obligation to like give your time to every single piece of media that's out there, especially if you don't really want to. I think the main thing that we've been trying to highlight is just to give things a chance. You may not like everything, and you really don't have to. But I think Oftentimes, we don't try things because what we have right now is pretty comfortable. Right. So, step out of your comfort zone a little bit and just explore a handful of shows or movies or songs that catch your interest. Because a lot of the time, I think these things end up being very impactful, I'd say. Yeah, and I'd add that I think you and I have been very blessed that we were surrounded by people who were open-minded. Right, yeah. And so it was easier for us to value that as well. You had your sisters who have like so many different things and we've both had friends with varied different interests that they would introduce us to also. That's not necessarily the same for a lot of people, but I do think that a critical kind of openness is becoming more and more valuable in the world that we have right now where there's so much discrimination and bigotry and so much violence attached to those that it's so important to really widen our perspectives and not stay within our limited realities. Right. And I think that the important thing to remember, which we've mentioned in previous episodes also, is that consuming diverse media really impacts the way that you see the world and the way that you understand what's going on around you. So in that respect, I think it's very important that we're open to like different forms and different sources of media. But beyond that... The openness needs to extend past just our media consumption. Like, there is so much bad stuff happening in the world right now. That is like an understatement. And a lot of it, I believe, is at its core caused by a lack of understanding or at least a lack of willingness to understand other perspectives and other points of view. We talk a lot about how media can change that, but also, we can't just stop at the solution is to consume diverse media. When we encourage people to try new things, I think it needs to extend farther than to just pick up a new book or go see a new movie. I think, really, it's just the first steps to taking action. 
in the sense of, you know, learn from new people, understand from new viewpoints, and just be open to voices that are different from yours. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, media is a reflection of the way that we see the world. Mm. So our media biases are a reflection of our larger biases about the rest of the world. And addressing those larger biases can start from addressing our media biases. And from there, we can go out of those biases and move past media too, because the larger fight has to also be fought outside our little screens. And, you know, the whole idea of like fighting for social change, that really starts small. So in order to, you know, start that whole process, we can take the small step of looking at how we interact with our media and understanding what we need to unlearn, what we need to do better, and also just what we can learn from other people in the way that they consume their media. That's why we really love having these kinds of discussions. It's because, again, when we talk about these things, we're also continuously learning with the rest of you. It's like we're, we're in no way ahead or behind. We're all just really trying to do better as people. Yeah. We're all in this together, as High School Musical would say. (laughs) I have absolutely nothing else to say to that. So on that note, we would love to hear from you guys. This is a topic that feels a little personal, to be honest. So we're just going to throw the question out there. Do you have any media biases that you realize you have to unlearn or you're in the process of unlearning? How do you do that? Like, let's help each other out and let's try and figure out ways that we can all just push each other to be better media consumers and better people. Yeah, and in this new year full of hope, I wish that everyone would be able to discover and create and grow even more. We're cautiously optimistic for the year ahead in general, but very excited for the possibilities of In Media Smith. With that, thank you for spending time with us. We will talk to you guys next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.